Applications for the Techstars Tech Central Sydney Accelerator Class of 2024 are closing on the 22nd of May. I'm Kirsten Hunter, the Managing Director of Techstars Sydney, and I'm looking for diverse and unstoppable founders who are using technology to solve the world's biggest problems to join this Accelerator cohort. The 12 successful businesses will get access to our 13-week mentor-driven accelerator, $120,000 US investment, and access to the Techstars network for life. Head to our Accelerator webpage to learn more and to apply. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists, to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. This episode was conducted by guest host, Will Cho. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Australian Startup Series interviews. Our guest today is Peter Brad. So good to have you on, Peter. Thanks for having me. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you're working on? Yeah, uh, so my name is Peter Brad. Uh, I'm probably uh, best known for my roles in uh, Fishburners and Startup Oz. So I was the founding director and the initial CEO of Fishburners from probably 2011. Uh, and then Startup Oz we did in 2013. Uh, which is now the Australian Tech Council, or has been merged into the Australian Tech Council. Um, I also am a startup founder, so I founded quite a few companies. My first was uh, a service we did with Qantas, allowing their customers to turn photos into real postcards, printed and posted in 24 hours. Uh, we did that in 2007 before the iPhone hit Australia, so that was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, right now I'm working on kind of corporate transformation, uh, digital transformation, corporate transformation, growth, uh, venture building, so keen to talk to you about that as well. I'd love to take the audience back to when you first got involved in the ecosystem, Peter. Have you, would you say that you've always been an entrepreneur, even back towards university days? Even before that, I mean, I've spoken about this a lot uh, in different interviews, but you know, my, my parents both work for the government. Uh, I learned around being an entrepreneur, really from jobs that I had when I was a teenager, you know, even from starting my own little car washing business where you go around and wash your neighbor's cars or mow their lawns to working in small businesses like the Video Easy store um, or the you know, local um, you know, milk bar, uh, did a lot of those kind of jobs, the costy seafood. And I, I learned around the difference between being a, you know, an employee and the owner of the business, even though they were you know, small and medium sized businesses. And that I really liked the vision that the, the entrepreneurs had when they were founding their business. And I, I quickly learned that I was, you know, if, if you wanted to make a difference and have time, you know, have time back, not just be on the wheel all the time, 
uh, you need to be the owner. So that's sort of where I got that from. And probably around the age of 15, I started working pretty early. So maybe even 13 onwards to, to 18. Um, I sort of had that. Um, in university, I think with technology, where I got interested in it was probably 2000 and I don't remember the exact year, but say 2002, 2003, I worked for a, a stockbroking company called um, Shaw Stockbroking. And I worked on their, uh, they'd, they'd done a kind of corporate spin out called a goalie, which was a website that it was kind of a, an ad funded model where they would publish uh, news about companies. So I, you know, public companies. And so I was a, I wouldn't say a journalist, but like a, you'd get the, um, get the reports off, uh, off the system and you'd rewrite the stories and, and publish them. Um, and I learned, you know, in that business, I had to learn how to code. Um, I did agricultural economics at uni, so I didn't learn how to code at uni. Um, so I learned how to do front end coding in that, uh, in that job. Uh, and I think that just kind of gave me the confidence to get into, you know, being a technology entrepreneur in terms of my first business, I launched a company called scribble picks in 2007. Um, and we partnered with Qantas. Uh, we were Australia's like Qantas's first non-core kind of travel partner. They'd never done anything like this before. And I was pretty much straight out of university and hadn't done anything like this before either. So, you know, I, I learned a lot, uh, from, from that business, uh, in, you know, 2007, I spent a lot of my time on it, probably until maybe 2011, 2012, when we did fish banners. So that was sort of my first understanding of the startup ecosystem was as a as a founder uh, in ScribblePix. And it was just a lot of change, you know, with with the iPhone and the advent of, you know, apps and uh, every, you know, all of that. Um, and I needed to be around other entrepreneurs. And so when I heard of Pete Davison and Mike Casey creating this co-working space called Fishburners, uh, you know, I did everything to get in there. And, and then also that kind of led me to my passion around helping, you know, helping create fish burners. Mm. Sounds like a very classic entrepreneurial story. You were dissatisfied with the status quo. Um, you didn't like being an employee, wanted to become the founder. And then once you found an opportunity and, and for you, it was working in a stockbroking company in technology, you decided to capitalize on it. Yeah, well, it's, um, I think that gave me the confidence, just having some exposure to learning how to code gave me the confidence that it wasn't that difficult. My sales background really helped. And so I, I again, jobs at university, uh, did a couple of sales jobs, I actually worked for Cruel Price in his previous business. Uh, he was selling life insurance over the phone and I had some really great training in how to, you know, how to sell to consumers over the phone from his business. Um, he mainly hired backpackers. I was probably one of the only non-backpackers that worked for him, but I learned a lot around sales. And so that helped also, you know, in my strategy around, with Scribble Picks bringing on channel partners like Qantas, TripAdvisor, Expedia, uh, you know, the Hilton, and then even Ishburners and being able to bring on big brands like Optus, News Corp to help fund our goals. Uh, so I think the combination of kind of confidence around technology, but also confidence around sales uh, from some of the early jobs I had really helped sort of set me up for success. Yeah, absolutely. What was it like starting your first business, Scribble Picks, before creating it? Did you have any notions on what it would be like to run your own business? And after creating it, was it the same? I think probably the biggest uh, moment for me was knowing what kind of business I was running. With Scribblepicks, I was, you know, I was a sales, my background had been in sales, you know, from an employee perspective. Uh, and so I was focused on doing deals and, um, you know, bringing in revenue. And so, you know, we did, a, we did a partnership with Qantas, but we still needed to build the technology. And uh, I was looking at raising funds and, uh, partnering with a you know a firm that could help me do that, um, but their quotes were just through the roof. You know, two hundred grand, three hundred grand to build a you know build an app, and this is going back to say two thousand and two thousand and seven. 
Uh, and I met a very successful Australian entrepreneur, a guy called Greg Johnson. And he said to me, you're running a technology company. You can't outsource your, your business. You, know, you, you need to do this yourself. Um, and so we had a, you know, we had dinner at his place and then he flew off to Spain. Um, and again, I've spoken about this quite a lot, but he created the website that this company said that they would spend, you know, $200,000 creating. He created the, you know, an MVP in today's language on that plane flight to Spain. And when he landed 24 hours later, he sent me a link to a, you know, an app that could do exactly what we needed it to do. And that's the MVP that we gave to, to Qantas. And so I learned a lot around what my business was. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs need to learn that lesson. Uh, it's, you know, it's very hard, you know, coming into a startup without a lot of experience or you have the experience you have, uh, but as a founder, you need so much experience um, and, you know, finding the team that can help you. And for me, that was, you know, Greg Johnson and uh, another partner, Elliot Cousins, that helped me. So that was, I suppose, a really key moment for me. And I still pass that lesson on to many other entrepreneurs that are, you do what you, you can do with your experience, um, but you really need to know what kind of business you're in and, uh, make sure you've got a good team around you who can excel in that business. You can't outsource your main, you know, your main function. Yeah. Did you engage much with the startup ecosystem? So like um, funding or accelerator programs back then? To be honest, and this is interesting because everyone has their own version of events. And I've listened to a couple of your other, uh, you know, in the series. And it's interesting. You know, I, I'm probably learning a lot more about their perspective as to what happened as you go back to, you know, 2000. And, you know, I kind of got more involved in 2011 onwards. Uh, but people that had been around before that, I didn't think there was anything available, mm. you know, and most of the people that came into Fishburners in 2011 also didn't think there was anything available. And I'm probably in the media quoted for saying that, you know, Fishburners was one of Australia's first co-working spaces. And, you know, there were others, um, you know, with hindsight now that you, you know, you look, but you only know what's available to you. And I, a key, a key moment for me became when Stone and Chalk launched and they launched FinTech, you know, I don't think we had any entrepreneurs at Fishburners that identified as being a fintech. Um, but quite quickly, Stone and Chalk was filled up with fintechs. And uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are out there in the ecosystem that are doing things. And I think Pete Davison spoke about this in his series. Uh, you know, they're kind of quiet. They don't need to be a part of the community or perhaps they don't know that it exists, but they're, they're doing great things where they are. For me, that was kind of what I was doing with my business, Scribblepix at the time. I didn't know what was available. And because of that, I probably moved a lot slower than I needed to or could have because I didn't have other people around me to learn from, uh, to tap into, to get advice from, all the benefits that you get from being a part of a program, whether it's you know a company like Fishburners or accelerator programs or other you know community-based programs. Um, if you're you know at home by yourself, your knowledge is limited to what you know. Um, your luck is limited to like who you can kind of run into. Um, so. I think for me, you know, 27 to 2010 was probably pretty limited uh, in terms of what I actually thought the startup ecosystem was. And I think that probably is fairly similar to, to other people at the time. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to dig into this more because when you said that you were sort of just in, in your own corner building scribble picks and not really engaging with the ecosystem, why? Is it because... Um, you didn't know it was out there or is it just like some other reason you didn't need to? Uh, no, I, I certainly needed to, which is why I put my heart and soul into fish burners. <laughs> uh, but I just didn't know that it was out there. And I didn't think that, I actually don't think there was a lot, you know, I, I'm still would have to go back to, to finding out, you know, I, you know, Hamish Hawthorne had ATP innovations and, um, you know, Polonizer was around and, you know, Kim Harris with Push Start was sort of getting going. And there was a meetup at the a hotel in the city 
you know, that happened and, you know, Sydney Angels was around. So there was stuff in Sydney going on. Um, I just wasn't really aware of it and it wasn't in the media. And, you know, one of the questions mm. you've asked other guests is this sort of around this 2012 uh, milestone. And for me, I think what happened then, and I can talk a little bit more about it, was just a lot more transparency, a lot more visibility, um, both in physical working spaces like fish burners and then other places like WeWork and, you know, there's fish burner equivalents all around Australia. Um, so you had that. You also had a lot more uh, media. The media became really interested in it. And so, uh, you know, that that happened. And so before 2011, there just wasn't a lot of visibility as to what was going on. It wasn't in the media. We didn't have, um, you know, websites like Startup Daily or, you know, the, the mainstream media wasn't really talking about it. Um, and so there's, you know, over the last eight years from, you know, 20... 2012 onwards, uh, there's been a huge shift in transparency uh, and even programs in like university, you can do, you can study this stuff now. You know, when I went to uni, it wasn't, wasn't available to you. So I think just the visibility has shifted. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that's a good or bad thing? I think it's amazing because I, th- I think being an entrepreneur is an amazing thing to do. Not everyone should be an entrepreneur and people should probably work, you know, I'm, I'm more suited to, to working in startups rather than being the founder. Um, yeah, I'm a you know I'm a founder, so that sort of suits my my personality. But it's certainly not not for everyone. I think we need more people being founders and uh, solving you know solving real problems. Uh, I think it's good for for them as individuals, and I think it's good for the economy uh, and for Australia. Uh, so I I certainly think it's a a brilliant thing. And it's interesting that I think that's probably pretty pretty common. I know um, uh, you know Murray Herps at UTS. Uh, one of his latest sort of ventures is is the visibility on uh, the corner of um, you know a very high profile street near near UTS, uh, just trying to increase the visibility. Uh, so I think it's probably pretty pretty similar to people that have seen seen the visibility. If you don't have it, you don't know it's possible. Mm. And if you don't know it's possible, then it's not even really an option for you. You know, I when I used to lobby like with startup Oz, I used to go down to Canberra. Um, and anyone in politics would know this. They've got these things called friends of innovation or you know, friends of something, and there's a million of them. Um, but they had one spun up for friends of innovation. And so I went and spoke there. And one of the audience members got quite upset. He's like, how dare you stand up there and encourage my kids, you know, who work at CBA or PwC to quit their jobs and to found companies when, you know, nine out of 10 of them fail. And I said, my view is that if it was to fail, they will go back into PwC or CBA if they wanted to, they'd probably end up in another startup or founding another business. But if they did want to go back into their corporate jobs, they'd go back, you know, three, four years ahead of where they would be able to get to if they hadn't have done that. So, um, you know, I still sort of stand by encouraging people to give it a go. Uh, and particularly, you know, when you're younger, you've got a lot more freedom and flexibility to do that. And you just learn so much. It's, uh, it's a great life experience. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you actually front run uh, a question that came to my mind when when you first started talking about this because I was thinking in my head when you said that not everyone can be an entrepreneur, that was interesting. But then you also said that you advocated transparency and, and encouraging everyone to get involved in the startup ecosystem. So in my mind, that was like a little bit of a contradiction. But then you answered it by saying that the the risk of a business failing is not as bad as it can seem because even if you worked at PwC, you would never have learned as much as if you failed your first business. That's why you can encourage everyone to to get into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a journey. You know, we're all on our own journeys and our own paths. And um, I really believe in having experiences. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about travel. 
uh, as an you know invaluable experience. I think founding a company or working for um, you know different companies is really valuable. Whether it's working for startups, founding your own startup, working for small business, or you know working in large companies, I think they're all valuable experiences, and you learn different things from all of those experiences. And I think that gives you more, you know more pathways and more options in the future. Um, but it also helps you work out what you love and you know, the more experiences you have, the better chance you have of doing something that you love. Yeah. Is there anything that you see to, in today's ecosystem that we could still improve on for our future entrepreneurs and current? Well, I think it's really important to sort of um, maybe just go back to what it was like in 2011 and 20, 2012. You know, so in terms of like the, the timeline, Fishburners, which is a, a co-working space, um, and I was one of the founding directors and the initial CEO, we registered the aid for Fishburners in September 2011, and we launched our website a little bit earlier, March 2011, and essentially with Startup Oz, uh, you know, we came together probably in late 2012, early 2013, and again we launched Startup Oz in 2013. And at the time that we launched Startup Oz, um, Google was one of the big uh, contributors to that. Alan Noble and Nancy Allen Williams were at Google, and they're sort of you know pioneers uh, behind that. They uh, they leveraged PwC to write a report, uh, which is available online. I think it's actually even on Mike, Malcolm Turnbull's website. In that report, the headline statement was, the Australian tech startup sector has the potential to contribute 109 billion or 4% of GDP, GDP to the Australian economy wow. and 540,000 jobs by 2033. Right now, it's only 2022. So this is you know 10, 10 years away. The Australian Tech Council, which we launched, I think late last year, from memory, so that's the you know startup Oz we found formed in 2013, uh, and we've now sort of formed the, the Australian Tech Council. Their report when they launched, uh, so this is in 2021, so only eight years between these two reports. They they say they report the Australian tech sector has become a critical part of the economy, contributing 167 billion to GDP, which is 8.5 percent of GDP, and they're predicting it could employ over a million Australians by 2025 not 2033. And so I remember being around when that PwC report was written and, you know, I was the CEO of Startup Oz and I was talking to media about it. And this is the figure that we would, you know, I'd get on Sky News and I'd talk about the, the potential. And if you look at the potential of 4% versus 8%, 109 billion versus 167 billion, I just think it's been an outstanding, like amazing success story uh, of what we've been able to do. Now, the reports do have different authors, assumptions, definitions. And in 2013, Startup Oz, we focused on tech startups with revenue under 5 million. And now the Australian Tech Council talks about the tech sector as it's grown. So it's certainly not an apples for apples comparison, but it does tell the story to me of the maturity of the tech sector and its contribution to Australia. And unfortunately, you know, as we were building, and I really love that you guys are doing this, but as we were building the startup ecosystem, I don't think a lot of that was sort of captured um, and you can capture it by going back through reports, but I think just the outstanding success of the Australian tech startup ecosystem is is huge. You know, the Australian tech sector is the equivalent of the third largest industry behind mining and banking, right? Yeah. What would you say were the key drivers of that like stunning growth? Well, everyone talks about different things from their kind of perspective. My perspective is a community perspective, right? I'm a community person. Uh, Fishburners is a community, and I. I think um, you know you go to many companies and you'll see a you know the hockey stick growth moment and the startup ecosystem has had one of those sort of hockey stick growth moments. Like Airbnb is a good example. They talk about their hockey stick growth moment as when they decided to go out and start taking professional photos of people's you know houses. 
that was something in their in their journey that uh, transformed their model. For us, I think visibility. So you spoke about visibility before. I think visibility really is one of the key things that transformed. And with fish burners, we had you know we started off with one level in uh, two eight Harris at the very top, uh, and we were lucky enough to run into three you know very I suppose pioneering people at Optus, um, Peter, Alfred, and Rebecca, who uh, decided not to replicate or create their own thing, but to partner with the community. And they agreed to give us 100 grand, which was enough for us to, to um, pay the rent on a second level. And what I did as CEO of Fishburners at the time was I created a platform uh, for events. And at the time, if you wanted to go to an event in the tech startup ecosystem, you basically had to go to a pub. Um, it was pretty noisy. You know, it was full of you know, alcohol and it was hard to hear the speakers. Uh, and so what we did was we put on uh, level one of Fishburners to become a basically a platform. And I encouraged all those people that were running tech meetups to come and run them at Fishburners for free. And that enabled, I think it was brand, it was easy. The quality of the events went up significantly. The membership of Fishburners, you know, you'd always get 20 or 30 people from Fishburners coming. So there was always a crowd at the events. Um, and that, I think, significantly changed uh, the startup ecosystem, in, in at least, and there are many other equivalents all around Australia. Uh, but visibility is really important. People would come and all of a sudden they realized that if they wanted to quit their job, if they wanted to give it a go, there was a community that they could join. There were people that would help them. Um, there was you know, infrastructure around them. If you're trying to do that from your bedroom in, you know, wherever your bedroom is, it's really daunting uh, and you're less likely to give it a go. Uh, and so that was some of the main driving forces between you know, startup pods advocating for uh, places like, you know, the Sydney Startup Hub uh, or now Tech Central. Uh, was to create that density that you'll hear people talk about. You know, Hamish Hawthorne and others will talk about density being important. It creates the density and it also creates serendipity. It, it gives you the opportunity to run into, you know, people. So be they investors or, you know, staff members or, um, you know, accountants, people that can kind of help you along your journey. It's, there's a, it's really hard to do that again from your bedroom uh, and to have, to have that luck. When you're, you know, you're at home. So I think for me, part of part of the drive was visibility, and that wasn't just, you know, from fish burners. That was also the media getting more involved, politicians getting more involved. Malcolm Turnbull launching the innovation statement in 2015. Um, you know, a lot more startups became successful, and you'll you'll hear people talk about the PayPal mafia and what's happening in the Australian ecosystem as you know wealthy, um, you know, people that have either founded companies or have worked for companies that have been successful and now reinvesting into the startup ecosystem, you're starting to see that flywheel kick off. Um, so I just think we're just at the start of something, you know, great. It's been a lot of hard work, but I think the next 10 years is just going to significantly increase. One of the things that came to my mind when you mentioned density is regional ecosystem. Do you think regional ecosystem has, has given the attention that they've, they deserve? Um, it's a hard question to answer. My, my view, and you know, I we had this discussion with quite a lot of people, uh, and it kind of launched. Like Startup Oz was an Australian-based organisation. Uh, it was even in our name, and it was in our DNA. And we had directors from, you know, um, tried to get directors from every state uh, to represent. Um, and then we had, say, Tech Sydney, who wanted Sydney to be the startup hub, uh, and they weren't as interested in uh, what was going on in, uh, you know, Melbourne or, or Victoria. Um, I'm not really interested in that kind of, you know, local level kind of competition. I think what regional, what any any location has is it has the ability to influence what's around it, the business that, that is around it. Uh, and if you're in, you know, regional 
there's all these amazing opportunities to innovate. And I, you know, Pete Davison on on his series spoke about you know innovation in some of Australia's strengths. And I think that regional, you know, regional focus. Uh, people in the region should be focusing. I mean, focus on what you're passionate about. But if you're passionate about stuff in the regions, um, you can solve from really amazing you know, problems uh, that our businesses in the regions uh, are having. And again, Davison spoke around you know adoption uh, being really important. And I think again, having uh, people with high technical literacy and uh, championing these local solutions uh, will really help our you know our economy out there to um, to be more productive, uh, more to, you know to grow. So. I, I think it's really important. Um, it's certainly hard, but less hard today with, I suppose, a lot more people have become a lot more used to running events online. Um, and so I think, you know, COVID or the pandemic's probably really helped uh, help the regions. Most most events these days are run online. Um, and so where previously they weren't, um, you know, they weren't run online, they weren't recorded, you're going to have to turn up in person or you miss them. Uh, so I think that's been a, a major, you know, major benefit. The other thing with startup communities, you know, Brad Feld talks about this, who wrote a book, uh, he wrote a book called The Startup Community. Brad Feld's a US, um, well-known US person. Um, and he, he says there's four things for startup communities to be important. And I think, um, you know, this, this needs to happen in the regions too, right? So leaders must have a long-term, long-term commitment. And many of the people that you've interviewed on this series have been around for longer than I have in the tech startup ecosystem and are still involved, you know, and the startup ecosystem must be inclusive of anyone who wants to participate in it. Uh, the startup community must have continual activities that engage the entire entrepreneurial stack. And so there, there's some of the, um, the points uh, that he talks about in his book, Startup Communities. And I think if you were to try and replicate that in the regions, you need to be tapping into those to those things. I certainly think they've, they've rung true from what I've been able to witness over the last decade. Um, and it's, it's really tough, right? So with Startup Oz, a lot of, and, and Fishburners and a lot of the community-based events, you know, it's done on commitment. So he says, you know, long, the leaders must have a long-term commitment. Many of the people that committed to building the startup ecosystem in Australia, they did it for free. You know, I volunteered for two years with Fishburners. All they did with wages at a discount, they could certainly earn a lot more money working in corporate Australia. Um, it's hard. It's certainly rewarding. Uh, but people were investing years of their lives. You know, and I can rattle off hundreds of people that have invested a lot of their time in the startup ecosystem because they were passionate about it. And so, again, you need that kind of commitment and passion if you were to try and do something in the regions, you know, similar commitment and passion, which is there. So I, th I think that's yeah, probably some some key thoughts on on the regions. Yeah, absolutely. Could you name a couple of those um, volunteers that have helped, you know, drive the Australian ecosystem to where it is today? Yeah, well, there's, I mean, there's just too many to name. So um, I'll name some people that I think have been important on my journey. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, with Fishburners, we had Pete Davison and Mike Casey. Uh, were really important, um, but there were others, you know, original directors, Matt Cameron, David Vandenberg. Um, there were lots of people that were involved in Fishburners that um, contributed to the community. Brett Fox is a really good example of somebody. Um, Pandora Shelley, who was, uh, you know, came in as a university student into Fishburners. She worked with Fishburners for a very, very long time uh, and became CEO of Fishburners uh, before she moved to the States. Uh, she contributed a huge amount of time to the startup ecosystem uh, and probably isn't well known or you know called upon um which i think is you know something that australia needs to become you know better at doing with startup oz uh you know again there was you know just so many people involved uh there was 50 people that started uh startup oz in you know the first community event um bill 
Bharti, Alan Noble and myself put our hands up to be founding directors and I put my hand up to be the initial CEO. But there were, you know, tons of people involved. I suppose Sally Ann Williams is probably somebody that was heavily involved, you know, more than most people. But again, uh, probably didn't get, you know, credit or a like for it. Also, you've got, you know, stepping away from those people, you've got all the media that were, you know, involved, all the, you know, the journalists that are writing and about about startups and what we're doing in communities. Um, you've got all the people that are supporting the ecosystem. So, you know, people talk about the, the, you know, the leaders and feeders in startup ecosystems for people that have dedicated their entire businesses to supporting startups. So, you know, Amit Shah at startup, um, sort of startup accounting, uh, people like that. Um, there's just been... Been, I mean, too many, too many to count. And I think one of the not tragic things, but you know, I've learned a lot from listening to this series of, of people that have been along the journey, but they've seen it from different perspectives. Um, I think it'd be, you know, it's really, really great that you guys again uh, doing this because I've certainly, certainly learned a lot from hearing different people's, you know, similar timeline. But what was their view on what was going on? I think it's really, really important. And you know, I could talk for half an hour just listening listing people that have been involved in a tech startup ecosystem. And I've only really spoken about Sydney. There's, you know, there's people all over Australia that did the equivalent thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The Listening to all the stories is uh, absolutely awe-inspiring. It makes you realize that there's a lot more depth than you initially thought. It's sort of that you know iceberg analogy where you thought that you knew a little bit, but then there's a whole huge part that you didn't really explore. Um, but that, that was for me anyway, listening to all the stories. Yeah. And it, I mean, I think, I think one of the most interesting things is just people have very different perspectives and it's sort of like your view on truth. Yeah. Um, everyone saw what was going on from their own perspective. And even if you were to ask, you know, 10 people about the history of fish burners, we'd probably all give you different stories, you know, based on what was important to us at the time or, you know, what we saw. And I, you know, I think it's really important to, to, to get those stories so that you can start to, to understand and again, help accelerate the ecosystems. You know, if we can codify it, it means it can be, you know, replicated or learnt from. And that's one of the main things. I think this this podcast is really helping helping people to to learn how communities are created. Because there was no, you know, when I started Fishburn as, a, uh, as initial CEO, I didn't do a course on how to run a co-working space. I didn't do a course on community management. Hmm. When I was the initial CEO of the Startup Oz, I'd never done any work in running, um, you know, a political lobbying business. Um, you know, I didn't know any of that. Uh, we just sort of had to learn it. And it was people around us, the teams that, that kind of taught us and we kind of worked it out together. Um, but if we can codify it, uh, and you know, it can be now, there's many books have been written on it. Many people have studied it and can learn and replicate, which I think will just, you know, speed things up again. Yeah, definitely. So Peter, as you know, what we're trying to do in the series is just document as accurately as possible the history of our ecosystem. And we're aiming to reach all corners from policymakers, academics, founders, um, investors. Is there anything that we haven't spoken about today that you believe that they need to hear? I'm really interested in uh, venture building. Um, so Kim Harris, um, you know, 2015, they're probably the you know one of the ones in Australia that have tried to do something in venture building. Uh, many people don't don't know about it and I think it's it's going to be the future of um, you know many successful businesses. Um, you know, in 2019, Kim Harris, who runs, he was one of the um, directors at Fishburners with me, but he also was uh, involved in Push Start and now 2015. Um, he wrote an article saying that studios in Australia just aren't prominent for three reasons. Uh, one was lack of experienced founders, which I think we're really overcoming. Um, lack of funding, which again I think we're really overcoming. And then uh, lack of sophisticated kind of exits. He talked about active tech uh, M&A, uh, which again, I think we're, uh, we're overcoming. And so I think the time has probably come for 
for studios, um, both from a startup perspective, but even a corporate uh, corporate growth perspective. You know, so where we're at now is the the average, like the predicted average tenure of an S and P five hundred company is twelve years by twenty twenty seven. The average age of a unicorn, you know, billion dollar business, privately held business, six years, right? Um, traditional growth engines, M and A, it's expensive, right? And it fails seventy to ninety percent of the time, depending on you know which reports you read. Only five percent of R and D makes it to market. And so, if you look at the VC index, and the Australian VC index seems to be, be producing better returns than some of the global indices, but the past twenty years, VC has produced the same or lower returns than investing in the S and P five hundred, right? And so, um, globally, there's we I've been able to identify over one hundred and eighty ventures, you know, in over venture builders in over 25 countries and we just don't have them in Australia and so I think that's probably part of the both corporate strategy around corporate growth uh, and Commonwealth banks tried to do that with their x15 uh, and uh, startups I think more and more founders are going to join venture builders versus trying to build startups you know by themselves there's a really interesting quote um, from a guy called Alex Chung uh, who founded a company called Giphy which they sold to Facebook for 400 million, right? Alex was a founder of a company that was very successful. He sold his first company to Google. He then joined Betaworks as a, as a founder in a you know, startup studio. And he, he kind of, one of the quotes I think is really interesting. He said, the incubator model is old. You know, he went through Y Combinator um, and he was a founder in one of those programs and exited his business to Google. Um, but he said, you become so invested in one idea, you pour all your energy into recruiting and fundraising for that dream without really knowing if it works. And when he was at his um, his studio works, uh, he had the freedom to experiment and throw ideas away. Uh, and then, you know, when he finally found one that was getting traction, the studio model uh, is to help you build teams and uh, get capital. That's kind of one of the things they sold for. You know, when he was doing that, he had three ideas that he was executing in parallel. And Giphy was the one that got up. The other two kind of fell by the wayside. And I think for a lot of founders, they are doing what Alex spoke about. They're becoming so invested in one idea, they're pulling all of their energy and re- you know, into recruiting and fundraising for that idea, whether it's the right idea or not. Um, and I think studios give you the freedom to participate and lower the risks. So I think that's something that um, you know I'm certainly putting my attention to uh, in the future. And I think we'll see. You know, if we look five year, in five years' time, I would I would predict that we'll have a you know a couple of unicorns coming out of Australian-based studios. You know, in in, in a couple of years' time. Yeah. Just in layman's terms, would you be able to explain what venture building or, or these studios are and how it differs from the traditional incubator model? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So if you want to learn more about it, the, the best place to learn about it is the Global Startup Studio Network. If you want to Google that, GSSN. The Venture Builder, they're also called Startup Studios, Factories, uh, Venture or Company Builders, Venture Studios, Foundries. Uh, what they are is they're a company that builds several companies and they're using uh, systematic, well-tested methods to do so. And the reason they're doing that is, is they want to increase return and they want to reduce risk. Now, they reduce risk through venture architects. So there's a team that operates in the studio. You know, the, the big consultancy firms, McKinsey, Bain, they're always advertising for them, BCG. Um, they're people that are really great at identifying ideas and validating those ideas, doing the kind of DD almost before you've even started building your founding team. Uh, you know, they're looking at the market size, business model viability, market dynamics. The second part that they solve for is execution excellence. Uh, so that's talent. So these studios have, uh, you know, people like me with big networks and others, uh, you know, founders, they're able to attract really amazing talent. Um, they've also got capital. So most studios have a venture studio will have a venture capital fund associated with it, which backs their businesses. 
So instead of a founder going out and trying to raise capital and spending a lot of time, money, effort, raising capital, that sort of solved for. Uh, the third is the playbook. They've, you know, obviously they're using a systematic, well-tested method to do that. Uh, and they're, you know, as a, as a business, they're learning how to do that better themselves. Uh, and finally, it's probably just the investment theory, which is, you know, common to VC, but it's diversified portfolio, uh, incremental funding, and the ability to follow on in successful ventures. So they're kind of the, the key things to a, to a venture builder. And the types of entrepreneurs they attract is generally like second time founders, whether they were, you know, depending on the definition of success, but whether they were, you know, wildly successful or, you know, they didn't have the exit they wanted to have, or perhaps they closed it down. You generally get second time founders that know how difficult it is to found a business, wanting to do it with a, you know, with a group of people around them. You know, their their exit is lower than what it might be if they were to try and do it themselves, but the probability that they're going to have, you know, build something impactful uh, and, um, you know, the associated benefits of that significantly increased. Yeah, that's amazing. There are some good examples, right? So like Dollar Shave Club uh, is, a, is an example, right? They, they sold their business to Unilever for a billion bucks. You've also got Snowflake um, who who did an IPO for 1.4 billion. They're venture builder-based businesses who, you know, the ideas are founded, you know, backed through these um, these venture studios. Uh, so there, I mean, there's, there's, as I said, there's 180 of them I could find globally. There's probably more, and they're creating billion-dollar businesses. Uh, e-founders, you know, recently uh, had a billion-dollar business. We talk about billion dollars because that's sort of the, you know the unicorn thing that people want to get to. So it's just there's, I mean, there's so many examples, and I just think in Australia, again, it's the visibility. We just don't have them here. People aren't really looking at them. So uh, it's something I'm, yeah, again, focusing on. Lastly, Peter, if a brand new entrepreneur or founder came to you and given all your wins, mistakes and experience, what would you tell them to increase their chances of success? Join a co-workers, go into fish burners or, you know, something equivalent and learn from people around you. I think I think you want to learn how to learn faster and being in a space like a co-working space, not only do they have other people that you can talk to and learn from, they've got a whole heap of events, but even, you know, lunchtime, uh, they run events all the time. I don't know how many fish burners do, but uh, you know they could be running a thousand events a year, multiple per day. Um, so you get all this amazing education and knowledge that you you need to be successful. Uh, it's also serendipity. You'll run into people that you won't run into if you're you're not in places like that. So getting into the Sydney Startup Hub or Tech Central or your equivalent, depending where you are in the world, I think it's, you know the number one tip that I could give is is to join one of those um, spaces with the view on learning how to learn faster and. learning faster uh, just getting more experience and learning from other people it's been so good to have you on the show today peter thank you so much thanks for having me it's been uh, been a pleasure I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many, many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.